The scripture passage this morning is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. I will be reading from the New International Version. Hear the word of God. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain, you who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. We, uh, I find myself in this season doing something that uh, happens to me all the time, and it comes from a, one of the best quotes, a movie quotes ever. You want to hear what the best movie quote ever is? Squirrel. Remember that? <laughs> from, uh, you know, from Doug the dog in the movie Up. You know, the Up House is here in Seattle. If you didn't know that, you can go over to Ballard and see it still. But I love this quote, you know, the, that squirrel. We, in our family, I don't know if in your family, but we quote, we use that movie quote a lot, you know, like squirrel, squirrel. So has anybody done any, been a little squirrely this Christmas? Because I feel like Christmas is coming so fast this year. I don't know. Or maybe I'm just busier this year. I don't know what's going on, and we've been traveling a lot. But I find myself squirreling a lot more when I'm busy or having a lot of things to do. And so we, I, I'll tell you about a little squirrel moment I had uh, going to Lowe's. We went to Lowe's Home Improvement last weekend to get our Christmas tree. But we were also shopping for some blinds for windows in our house. And so the main target was blinds, right? You, know, you always have your target, hopefully, when you go into the store because you'll get distracted, as I'm about to illustrate to you. So we're walking into Lowe's Home Improvement, and in the middle aisle, as you walk in the door, you make a left turn to go towards the line, and they leave these bins of stuff out, you know, these bins where they hope you'll buy some impulse buys for Christmas. And I'm walking by this bin, and it's got Star Wars stuff in it. <laughs> so I grew up on Star Wars. I was a product of the 70s and 80s, and so I went to the first ever Star Wars showing. I saw it like three or four times when I was a kid. So Star Wars has been with me a long time, but I see the Star Wars stuff 
but my wife is dragging me to the blind section in the store. So I like go by them, and I, but I'm like, I'm, I'm squirreling at this moment. Like, let's stop and look at the Star Wars stuff before we go look at blinds. But we're going to the blinds. We get to the blind aisle. It's a lot blind leading the blind, I realize. But anyway, the blind aisle is there. And we're in the blind aisle, and my, my eyes begin to just glaze over. Have you ever gone into the store, and there's just so many options that you're just like, I don't want to have to make a decision about blinds, you know? So I had this inspirational thought in the moment. We're standing in the blind aisle. We're looking at blinds, and I'm like, we're going to need a cart. So I said to my wife, I'm going to go get a cart for us. So I leave her in the blind aisle, and I go get a cart because I know I'm going to have to go back past what to get the cart? Star Wars! Yeah, I'm totally squirreling at this moment. And so I go and I get the cart, and then of course I stop by the Star Wars bin of all this Star Wars stuff, and I look at the items, and it turns out they're, a, they're night lights with like Darth Vader head or Stormtrooper head or whatever, night light. So then I stand there and I think about, I need to come up with a reason to buy a Star Wars nightlight. <laughs> so I'm standing there trying to figure out a reason to buy this thing that I really don't need at all. So I'm sitting here, but I, I'm in the squirrel, and uh, squirrel moment, and I'm having this squirreling moment, and I'm, so I'm starting to think, of, well, I don't have kids at home anymore. Okay, that doesn't work. It's not going to go with the blinds at all. <laughs> Uh, we don't have a Star Wars theme decor in our house, you know, so I'm trying to figure out a rationale to buy. Then I came up with one, which I'll reveal at another time, but I came up with an idea to buy one, so I buy one, put it in the cart, and I go on the way, plus it was a good price, so how can you pass up a good price? So I totally bought it, gave, caved into the impulse buy, and we went, and I, my eyes glazed over again in the blind aisle. So I think about this moment of distraction, right? That's what it was. I was distracted from the mission of the store, right? I got distracted from the mission. I think about that at Advent right now, that we're in this season of preparation, but I would suggest to us that we're preparing for something that has nothing to do with the coming of Christ, or very little to do with the coming of Christ, because most of our preparations are buying Star Wars nightlights for somebody, rather than preparing for the coming of Christ, right? We're distracted. We're, we're in a squirrel moment when we're supposed to be in an Advent preparation mode. And I think about that's what Isaiah is actually saying to the people of Israel. We, we heard some from Isaiah last week, and we'll remember that when we heard from Isaiah that what was going on was that he was talking about this season of being the Israel, the nation of Israel is going to be attacked by these other nations and basically shrunk down to a stump or a root system, and then out of that root was going to shoot Jesse a stem, a branch, a new shoot from Jesse's line, lineage, right? And that was to be the Messiah. That was Jesus. Came out of that shoot. We talked about that last week. But now in chapter 40, much later in the Isaiah text, we see that there's this message of hope beginning to develop now for the nation of Israel. After they've been, uh, been kind of attacked and, and things have ha bad things have happened and God's th things have begun in their lives, now there, Isaiah begins to give this message of hope and the part of he begins the message of hope by saying this verse, right? He says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Advent is a season not of buying gifts, but of preparing the way for God to be present to us. God with us, Emmanuel, in our lives. 
And so, but we, I think we get distracted from this idea of preparing the way of the Lord from the other things. Now, Isaiah goes on and describes a construction process, a construction process, build a highway. And then he goes on and talks about how every valley is to be filled in and leveled. Think about that. How much construction would have to happen to fill in a valley? And then he says, take down the mountains, level the mountains so that there is a flat, straight road for the Lord. The purpose of this construction process is to make it, make it, make it so that God can come quickly and without any hard effort, that it'll be instantaneous. So that's what Isaiah is actually giving this picture. And in that day, they didn't have bulldozers, right? They didn't have construction equipment. They didn't have uh, the modern roads that we have today. They, it's hard labor, digging, cutting, taking out things, removing every obstacle. That's the image, to remove every obstacle in the path of God, from God coming. So let me ask this question. Is your advent right now about removing every possible obstacle to God's presence in your life in this moment? Is that what you're doing right now? Is that what I'm doing right now as I go to the lows? Right? Is that what we're doing? Or are we making sure that God can come into our lives with, as quickly as possible? Are we willing to make the construction happen? I was thinking about how this uh, that really our modern society has, has really put obstacles in our way, and most of the obstacles actually come from what we value. I stumbled across a philosopher, uh, called, his name is Max Scheller. He was a German philosopher during, uh, in the 20th century, and his writings and his teachings were suppressed by the Nazi government from 1933 to 1945. The reason it was suppressed is because, as I'm about to reveal to you, he came up with what's called his hierarchy of values, which is not, if you've, you've probably heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but this is what he came up with, a hierarchy of values. The base value or the lowest value and the most common value among humanity is use and pleasure. Is it useful and will it please me, right? Those are pretty basic values, and then we think about basing our lives, and a lot of our decisions are based around those things. Notice that when I had to buy a nightlight, Star Wars nightlight, I was trying to what? Well, what decision, what value was I looking at? Use, right? Who's going to use this? It's certainly going to bring me pleasure to buy it, but can I find a use for it? See how I'm at a low value when I'm doing that? The next level of values is vitality. What is it that gives us life? What are the things that give us life? And that might be even bravery, or courage, or risk-taking, or sacrifice, anything that adds life, value to life, and our vitality in life would be the next level of value. Then it goes on and talks about intellect, not in the sense of being smart or knowing lots of things, but it's really an appreciation for truth, appreciation for beauty, those types of values. And so the intellect is able to appreciate and see those things, and so that would be a higher value. But I, what I love about, obviously as a pastor, love about Scheller's hierarchy of values is notice what he puts at the top of his value system, the holy, the pursuit of the holy. I would suggest to you that today's modern society has flipped that around on its head. If you think about our modern society today, most of what we're focused on makes use and pleasure the highest value at the expense of the holy. 
Let me just say that again to let it sink in. That a lot of what we're doing as a modern society is to value use and pleasure at the expense of the holy, right? We flipped it around. Don't believe me yet? Let me give you an example. You're buying gifts right now. I'm buying gifts right now. It could be more than, maybe not everybody's into Star Wars. But when you go to buy a gift for somebody, what are the questions you're asking yourself? What are the two questions you ask when you think about, you know, because we say it's the thought that counts, right? Well, it's the thought that counts, right? So what are you thinking about when you think about, oh, I've got to buy a gift for fill in the blank. And then you ask yourself some other questions about that gift, like what could they what? Use. (laughs) Or what do they need? And then the other question you're asking and I'm asking is, will they like it? Will it please them? Will they appreciate? You know, see what I'm saying? So what value system are we working with in our gift giving? What value system is at work in our thought process as we buy gifts? We're thinking of use and pleasure, right? We're at the very low level for what Scheller says is our value system, right? Notice that a lot of what we're, we're preparing as we're preparing for Christmas is a, a lot of use and pleasure-driven value. And my question is saying, and you know, the appropriate question for us as a church and in this season of Advent, is are we <laughs> squirreling? Are we distracted from the holy and the coming of the Lord and the coming of the holy in our lives, and we're just distracted from it by the preparation, right? By all the stuff that we're trying to accomplish all the things we're trying to get done, and what values are at work in this system. A lot of people complain about the gifts that were given to Jesus by the Magi. Have you ever heard somebody complain like, you know, what does a baby need with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Why are we upset with the gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Because it doesn't seem useful. And why are we also upset with gold? Why why are they giving an infant gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Because a baby can't... can't chew on myrrh or frankincense. That's not going to be good for a baby, right? So we, what are we saying? These are impractical gifts. They're not useful. They're not pleasurable for Jesus. But what were the Magi focused on? The holy. And they were gifts for the holy one to come into our world. They were gifts of a king. They were gifts to, remar- to mark and symbolize that holy, the holy had entered into our world, that the word had become flesh and dwelt among us. They were recognizing the holiness of who Jesus is by their gifts. Yeah, so it wasn't useful, it wasn't practical, and it also wasn't pleasurable for an infant to receive gold, frankincense, and myrrh because the magi were focused on something more than just the lower values. And they're also, what is it that's going to help us get the triangle back around, right? How can we move the triangle back in so that it's not that lower values are not important. There are things that we, that we need to be practical about and we need to be looking at things that, that, that are good for us. That's not the point. But when it's the holiness is at the expense of that, Right? So I was thinking about, what is it that would flip that around? What would get us back? And that would require some construction, some road work, some highway building, right? 
So that means we'd have to do some work, which is where we go to spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines help us su- surrender and, sub- and, and, and push down the lower values in favor of the higher value of holiness or intellect or vitality. So what do you, think about just for one example. Let's take an example of spiritual discipline of fasting. What do we, if we're fasting from food, what happens to us? What do we have to suppress? We have to suppress something that we need or use or is very practical and also may give us pleasure. So we're actually surrendering that for the pursuit of the holy. We're disciplining ourselves. Prayer does that. The study of God's word does that. Giving, sacrificial giving does that. Every time we practice a spiritual discipline, we're doing construction work, bringing the holy into our lives. That's why we do spiritual disciplines. That's why we do that work, is to allow God's presence for us to be more open and to make a way for God's presence to come into our lives. And part of what is going on here as well in Isaiah is that we want that God, God, Jesus, Isaiah, they're all the same. Anyway, (laughs) but we're trying to make a way, right? Isaiah is encouraging us to make a way for God to come quickly. And the He goes on to describe a lot of other things in this passage, but I want to zero in on the type of leader that comes into our lives, the type of leader that the Messiah Jesus is when Jesus comes, the presence comes, Emmanuel comes. And he describes this leader as a shepherd leader. And and actually, Micah does this for us as well. I want to remind you of a couple other passages out of another prophet, a minor prophet. His name is Micah. But he said this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That reflects what we heard last week about this new shoot coming from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the hometown of Jesse, the shoot of Jesse, the branch of Jesse. And that out of Bethlehem is going to come this leader. And then Micah goes on and says this in in the next verse. He says, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Again, we see another prophet saying this leader that's coming, this Messiah that's coming is going to be a shepherd-like leader. What I love about Isaiah's description, and this is good news for parents this morning. The good news for parents this morning is Isaiah describes this shepherd as one who looks after the lambs and those who have lambs. So think about this. Think about the image here. Like a shepherd, so the most vulnerable sheep in a fold are the newborn lambs. And so Isaiah said, this shepherd's going to particularly pay attention and protect the lambs in this fold. But also the shepherd would have to know which of the sheep had lambs because those sheep were also vulnerable because they were looking after their lambs. So parents, this is good news, right? Because you have a shepherd that is looking after you because there's predators out there, right? And parents are distracted by who? Children, <laughs> young ones, right? So if you're a parent, you are, you are also distracted right now, aren't you? Can I, can I get a witness? Can I get an amen here, the parents, right? Because when you have children, you're distracted by taking care of them. You're distracted by trying to look after them and make sure that they make it to adulthood, right? That's what a shepherd wants to do. And that's what a good shepherd wants to help you do as a parent. That's what Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit wants to help you do as well. Because 
And I would say this, parents, the shepherd knows you're distracted, and it's okay. It's okay, because God understands that. So if you're worried about that, if you're worried about making a mistake, well, guess what? You will. But the shepherd's still with you, right? That's good news for parents. It's good news for lamb. But the other image here that Isaiah gives, which I love about this imagery, is that it says that the, this shepherd will take the lamb and put it close to his heart. That this shepherd described, see what a shepherd would do in the first, or actually this would be seven, seven hundreds BC, but this image was that a shepherd would be wearing a cloak or a robe, and there would, it would be baggy, and so there would be folds in it, and so what would happen is the shepherd, when a newborn lamb was there, or a lamb was vulnerable, or couldn't keep up with the herd, the, the shepherd would pick up that lamb and put it in the fold of the garment, and it would rest there, kind of like a, like a baby thing, you know? And the lamb would actually rest right here in the cloak of the shepherd next to the shepherd's heart. And that's where the lamb would be carried if it were needing protection. And that's where the shepherd would care for it and make sure that it was protected. And where is the safest place for a lamb? In the fold. Right there. Right? The safest place for a little lamb is right next to the heart of the shepherd. You get it? That's the kind of leader that, that came and will come again. That will be a part once, that we're making a way for that leader into our lives. We're not talking about a fiery, judgmental, brimstone presence, but a presence where he looks at the vulnerable and scoops up the vulnerable and puts the vulnerable close to the heart. You know, I, I love that our church is doing things for the foster care ministry. If you think about anybody who's vulnerable, it's foster, foster kids, children, right? Uh, there was a guy in a former church we were serving. He was in a foster care system, and um, his, we'll just call him Joel. Joel was uh, in the system his whole life. He was the product of a, a co-worker. Two co-workers had had an affair at work. They were both married and had their own families. Uh, they had an affair, and then Joel was actually born out of this affair, but neither family would take him in. So he ends up in the foster system because neither family would take responsibility for that. And it was also, Joel was a reminder to each family of the, of the moral failure of the, of the woman and the man that were involved. And so he kind of just got cast aside. Uh, we met Joel because he came to our church and he helped us in our church and he had a great heart and he, you know, had a little rough edges, but he was helpful and always wanted to be around us and hang out with us. And he was there in church every week on his own accord. Nobody was, no parent was saying, you need to go to church, right? He came every week because he wanted to come every week and he would come and he'd help out and he'd serve in the congregation. And I'll never forget the moment that we learned that at eight, he was going to turn 18 in February of his senior year of high school, and he was going to age, what's called age out of the system. That means no more resources. Think about that vulnerability of an 18-year-old with no family living in our world. How vulnerable is that? Financially vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable. The system was just going to kick him out on the streets. 
And I love that our church stepped up. We found him an apartment in a, someone's basement that was low rent. We helped, he was able to, had some skills. He was able to find a full-time job after he graduated from high school. We were able to help get him into that apartment, put down the, down, the deposit, get him into that apartment, get him to graduation, furnish that apartment, get him set up. He got a full-time job and was able to work and able to make ends meet. And we were able to set him up, help set him up for success in his life. I love when the body of Christ does that. When the body of Christ actually acts like the good shepherd. And I love that our church is doing that. Through the giving tree that you'll see, or the foster care dinners that we do, or the fact that we collect furniture and items for kids that are teens that are aging out of the system and we're helping to furnish their apartments. That's something that our foster care ministry is doing currently. So I love that we're doing that as a church because that's what it means to be a part of the Good Shepherd's work in the world. And the other thing I love about this shepherd is not only does this Good Shepherd take care of the vulnerable, but the Good Shepherd was willing to be vulnerable. If you think about it, a lot of people were willing to be vulnerable so that the shepherd, the Messiah, could come. How vulnerable is it for God to become flesh? To God, for God's presence to be put in the womb of a teenager? How vulnerable is that? And to be born into this world in the first century. That God would be that vulnerable with us. Or think about Mary. How vulnerable was she to giving birth to this child out of wedlock, so to speak, or perception, right? And to take the journey to Bethlehem. How vulnerable were Mary and Joseph to allow God to come into their lives? How many sacrifices, how much risk, how many valleys did they have to go through and mountains did they have to overcome to bring God's presence literally into their lives? Or think about the shepherds who actually were, made the sheep vulnerable or maybe left the sheep with hired hands, but had to leave the, sh the flocks to go see the newborn king, that they, in their rejoicing and joy, they went and made themselves vulnerable to seeing the newborn king. Or the magi. Think about the magi. How many things did they have to clear off their calendars to make sure they got to see God's presence, the Emmanuel, right? Are we willing to do that? How much of our calendars would we be willing to clear? How many mountains and obstacles are in the way of us right now experiencing God's presence? What's in the way right now for you? What's in the way of God's presence in your life today? It may be a mountain, but if there's a mountain in the way, prepare the way, get to work, level it. If there's a valley that you see that you, that's preventing you from God's presence, figure out a way to get to work. Get it filled in so that God's presence can come to you. Prepare the way of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together.